Alrighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Digital Artcast. Uh, this is episode six. Um, we're really, really excited to tell you all about what happened at Edge Control, which was in Toronto uh, last weekend. A whole bunch of really, really amazing artists showed up. There was, um, let's read them off quickly. There was Kalen Shock, who is, um, uh, he's, he's a little bit newer, but his stuff is still amazing. He, uh, he did a talk on photo bashing and sort of painting over, you know, all the, all the photos you put together until, they're, until it's completely unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. There was John Polidora, who is an artist at Blizzard. Um, he's been there for I think I think he said like eight eight years ten years yeah. long time no matter what he uh, he's he, um, he's done some three D stuff for them a lot of stuff in World of Warcraft mm -hmm. and uh, then he moved to the illustration team and he has a ton of experience doing like just any anything that Blizzard needed he was just like yep I'm good he did a whole bunch of TV stuff for Overwatch mm -hmm. uh, a lot of you know promotional art now he's working as um as a concept artist on uh, the Overwatch team cool. then after him was Dan Lovisi who really doesn't need an introduction if you don't know who Dan Lovisi is like just google the guy he is unfriggin believably good um if you've heard of uh, LMS last man standing yes uh that is his that is his personal IP which is oh, absolutely cool. exploding right now um like like I don't I don't think I've heard of an artist who has had as much independent success as he has like LMS is 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 you know like it's 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 on track to, to be made into like you know like a proper triple a crazy movie by nice. I, I think he um I don't know how much I can say although most of this is public anyway he was he was in talks with you know Paramount and Universal Studios and they all wanted in on LMS but he's holding off until he finds the right studio to make it because he doesn't really want it to become like the next Suicide Squad oh. and um so uh, that was that was Saturday, and then after after that there was an after party, and there was an after after party where we just went sort of carousing around Toronto. I'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> um, and so we went home, and we got like a couple hours sleep, and then we came back for Sunday. And uh, Sunday was also really really interesting because uh, let's see who was up on Sunday. Uh, so first up on Sunday was Jomaro Kindred, who is uh, another artist for Blizzard. Um, if you don't know his work, look him up. He's absolutely incredible. He actually contributed to the StarCraft II field guide. Did a lot of art. Um, uh, did a lot of line art for that. I actually brought the book and got him to sign it. Nice. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. And he was a really, really cool guy too. Um, really, really good contact to have. Uh, but yeah, he's um yeah, he works on the Hearthstone team at Blizzard. He's done a lot of uh, illustrations for them, card backs, uh, promotional art, um, I'm, I'm assuming assets for the game as well. Nice. And then after him was. Uh, uh, Frank Hong, who's actually a Sheridan grad, Sheridan animation grad. Wow. Um, and like, geez, his stuff is incredible too. I actually have two, two of his prints on my wall now. He was giving out free prints. And wow. I was just like, <laughs> Frank, listen to me. Next time you come, do not bring free prints. Bring yeah. just prints because I brought money to buy these. Yeah. <laughs> but like um, yeah, it was, uh, um, his talk was actually pretty interesting because he was talking specifically about like, what what he called resistance which is basically you know that that sort of feeling you get when you don't think you're you know don't think you're good enough or you don't think you should be creating mm -hmm. he's just like you got just got to take that resistance and just work through it because if you're feeling it that means you're moving ahead and so his his whole talk sort of centered around that he also did um uh, he did a demo on photo bashing as well um actually i think everybody but dan luvisi did some sort of demo though dan's dan's talk was good enough to not need a demo he was just basically motivating the crap out of everybody and then um, last up was Anthony Jones, who, again, is like, incredibly big. He's experiencing a lot of success. Um, he, uh, he goes by the alias Robot Pencil. He was actually talking a little bit about aliases um, 
uh, sort of as he went through it, being like, you know, if you if you become your own company or you sort of market yourself, you may eventually want to come up with some sort of alternate name. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're known as Anthony Jones, but you're also known as Robot Pencil. It's sort of just, you know, something else you can, you can you know, have to your name. Yeah, kind of um, like Mark Burnett's kind of cute brush thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 totally the same thing. But Anthony is was probably like like all of them had great presentations. They were all surprisingly good speakers. Not to say that they wouldn't be, but yeah. like they were. Like, I don't know if they would sort of talked about this before. They maybe got some you know public speaking training, but they were all friggin' great. And Anthony was probably the strongest of them all, which is saying something because Dan also had a really really good talk. But yeah. he basically like you know jumped off the stage, walked up to everybody, and just started like this motivation spiel spiel and uh it was just like it was, god he's he's such a cool guy did he dive off the stage and he was like how bad do you want it <laughs> you know what i'm not gonna lie it, it wasn't it wasn't that exactly but it was pretty darn close oh cool <laughs> nice and um and then of course he uh, after that he got back up on the stage and uh did a demo for us um his demo was actually interesting because he was timing himself he was doing um uh, he was doing a dragon head in like i think it was 30 seconds no no sorry a dragon head in 10 seconds and then an alternate version of that design in 15, and then 20, and then 30. Then he gave himself a minute and a half, and he was just like, so if I hadn't started with that 10-second sort of like sketch and then built up from there, mm-hmm. he said, like, I sort of, I got all of my, um, you know, all of my bad ideas and all of the problems with the design out with the initial sketches. Yeah. And, then when, and then suddenly when I have, like, all the time in the world, even though it's, you know, like a minute 30, mm-hmm. he, was, he was able to sort of get into, this, get into the design with all the kinks already worked out. And it was, it was really, really cool to see. Oh. And um, then after that, like, and um, uh, after that, let's see, after Anthony Jones, yeah, there was, um, uh, there was a portfolio review. There was also one on, on Saturday. It was at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. There was the after party, which, um, and they actually did have drinks that were free and food that was free. So it was, uh, it was, it was pretty legit. Nice. And, um, you know, we got to network with everybody. And, and it wasn't just like the crazy big artists that were there. It was also like all of the students and all of the really, really new professionals like me mm-hmm. and all of the other, you know, amazing artists that were there. Cool. Um, actually, uh, Frank Hong's crew. Uh, he um, he, uh, he has a company called Crush Visual, and they're sort of like an art house. So they take on um, projects from other studios, and then they just produce concept art for it. So mm-hmm. a lot of the guys who work with him at Crush Visual were also there, and I got to talk to them, and they were all, you know, fantastic guys too. And like it was, it was a, it was a really, really good, you know, solid networking experience. It was just like a bunch of guys and girls just hanging out, talking about cool stuff. Like it was. It was a different atmosphere than I was used to at, in, at industry events. Not that I have a whole lot of experience, but it was good. And the uh, best part was they gave everybody a discount that was there for the next, um, uh, next Edge Control whatever, whenever it happens. So, yeah, oh, that, nice. was, uh, that was sort of the Coles Notes version cool. of the whole thing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds pretty much similar to the, the thing that I went to with industry workshops. And, you know, I think a lot of these things, like even we were talking earlier on about um, Trojan Horse Unicorn and even going to IFCC next year, it's... it's these things are becoming more and more prominent. There's more and more of them. Like even just sitting in an art station, I noticed there was a, a new festival that's just going to start running in Poland that's based on, you know, concept art as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's going to be a, a wide gambit of things to go to. So, um, so yeah, man, awesome. That's cool. Well, uh, just start from the beginning then and, and who's your first victim who you want to talk about first? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go through them in order. So, um, so what I'm going to do now is just, you know, um, quickly go through everyone's presentation in, in depth just to sort of get across to you guys... Uh, generally what they were talking about. So I have some notes and I'm also looking at their work just so I'm sort of on track. So basically, uh, um, most of the artists sort of started out with their own personal sort of track to becoming who they are today. And um, it was, uh, I mean, like, like it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was informative, but it wasn't, you know, 
it wasn't as informative as, say, something like looking at a technical demo, which they most of them did as well. Mm. But one thing that was really, really cool about sort of learning, you know, what, what their personal story was to, to you know, getting, getting to who they are today is, like, the details were all different, but the themes were the exact same. Yeah. Like, all of them had to sit down and they had to put the time in. They had to put in their... And it honestly, it's not 10,000 hours. It's more like 100,000 if you want to really get to that level. Like, they yeah. had to... They had to put in the hours, and they had to put in the hours doing the right kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, let me see. Uh, Kalen, well, I can't remember what school he went to, but he did go to art school. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, his, uh, his, uh, the first part of his talk was called, just called um, Becoming an, an Artist. And he had this cool, he had this cool way of um, sort of getting across his level as an artist versus all of his other friends. Mm-hmm. And so um, he, uh, he said that he started as a 19-year-old sort of really crappy level one artist. And um, he was in art school with people who were already like level two, level three, four, five, six. And he was just like, oh my God, that, these, these people are crazy. But at that point, when he started out in art school, he didn't really have the mindset to sort of become that, that high level. So he was kind of just, you know what, his, his, his story kind of reminded me of mine. Um, farting I, was just, around I for- was just about to say, because when you talked about when you first went to Sheridan, um, you were coming into classes where people were already super qualified and already had a presence online. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like my friend, uh, my friend Justin, who um, Justin Chan, for you guys don't know, look up his stuff. It's fucking incredible. He like like he had a huge following on Tumblr already, and I, there were people like uh, uh, people like Roosh, Sarush, Barajesh. If I'll, you know what, we'll put up links to all this stuff. I'm gonna butcher these people's names. But yeah, like his stuff was incredible as well because the kid had been drawing since like I don't even know. And not only that, but he'd been actively studying for a lot longer than he'd been in school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like for so so for Kalen's first two years in art school, um, you know, kind of just farted around. He was working on stuff, but he wasn't actively, you know, like he wasn't really pushing for it. And then all of a sudden in second year, um, let's see what happened. Uh, I, um, I can't remember exactly what it was. I didn't take I didn't take down specifically what what the event was, but a lot yeah. of the people in his art school were invited to some sort of industry event. And um, but they but they had to be really really good because they had to go. It was like a portfolio review kind of thing. Where they had to go. They had to show their work. And he wasn't invited. He couldn't get on that crazy art bus. And see, he was just like, oh my god, like I, I think there's some sort of separation going on here. Where like I'm not putting the work in, and I'm not getting to be able to do the things that these other people are doing. Yeah. So he um, he, he was he was basically suffering from art groupie syndrome, where he was sort of like he was in with that crowd, but he wasn't he didn't really belong because he just wasn't on their level. Oh. So. Um, at, in third year, he was just like, "Shit, dude, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get going on this stuff." So um, uh, he was basically just like, you know, get better, just start leveling up. And uh, one of his one of his really really good messages was, uh, you know, success is different for everybody. So so like like your your definition of success might be, you know, a, a low level modeling position at a game studio. But if you're happy with that, then that's success. Yeah. Or you might be like the crazy, you know art director of some like triple a studio and that might be success or you might be the goddamn ceo of ea and that might be success to you personally Mm -hmm. so um that was another one of his another one of his points and he also said that um one thing that you really have to keep in mind is your job and your and the work that you do doesn't personally define you and you shouldn't you know feel that if you're not personally where you are in your artistic sort of development that doesn't that doesn't define you personally Like, like like you're not a bad person if you if you're not quite as strong as some of the other people surrounding you. So, like he said, it's it's kind of hard to separate yourself from that, but it's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, because there's um, always um, there's always going to be somebody better than you, no matter what. I mean, it's, you're never going to escape that. Um, yeah. So yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, see, you have to. And he also said you have to define what success means for you. So not you. You can't just sort of stumble into it and be like, okay, I don't really know. You know, what do I want to do? Eventually, over time, you kind of have to figure out. You know, what, where do I want to end up, and what do I have to do to get there? It's it's it sounds really obvious, but it it really takes someone like him to say it for you to go like, oh shit, yeah. What does success mean for me? You know. Yeah. And that's that's something that that I'm struggling with. Something that you're probably struggling with. So it's it's a good thing to think about. Yeah. And um, another thing he said, obviously, you know, keep moving forward, persevere. It's easy to, what does this say? It's easy to not see the process and the amount of work involved in someone else's, you know, in someone else's stuff. So, like, you yeah. look at someone like, like Kalen or who, uh, the guy we were talking about earlier, Matt Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at his stuff or Kalen's stuff, whatever, and you're just like, holy crap, this is amazing. But you haven't seen that 10,000, 100,000 hours that went into it. Yeah. All, the, all the, you know, like the struggle he went through in art school, all, like, all the emotional stuff. All like like this and just getting his ass in gear and getting good. Like you, you don't see that. All you see is the finished work. Yeah. So um, it's always something to keep in mind. And 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 the common theme at 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 Edge Control was again the details were different, but the themes, which is you know just hard work, a lot of time in front of a computer or in front of a sketchbook. You know, like that. That's that's pretty much all it takes. That was something that Anthony was saying. He was just like. You know, there, there's there's um, there's definitely the context of what you're doing at the computer, but ultimately you got to put those hours in. Yeah. And um, let's see. So uh, his final sort of uh, points on, on on the first part of his presentation were, he uh, so he said you got to find out what you want to do, and you can only do that by trying a ton of things, which was actually which is actually something good at Sheridan that they got us to do. They may have been throwing too much at us at once, and same thing with Kalen's art school. They were throwing quite a bit at him, and he just. He had no idea what to even focus on, but eventually he found, okay, concept art, okay, painting, okay, photo bashing. Um, his second point was seek out the information that you need to get where you want to go. Do not wait for it. So, like, going to, going to industry talks, that's, like, number one, you know, seeking yeah. out the people that are already doing what you want to do. And, like, go online, look up Gumroad anything, and you will find what you need to, what you need to find. It's so easy to get the information today. So readily available. I mean, between Gumroad and Nomon and... 3D Motive, Motive. yeah, like, shit, dude, (laughs) it's all out there, and then, like, I can, I can say that with certainty, because I'm working for 3D Motive, like, I'm one of, I'm one of the fools who's putting out tutorials now, um, but, and, and, yeah, the the third thing he said was create your community, so that is precisely what we're doing here with this podcast, we are sort of like a, you know, a growing two-man community that, you know, interviews people, and pioneers, yeah, stuff, (laughs) yeah, and, like, um, and, uh, he was also saying the, uh, the people are sort of that came to Edge Control in Toronto, we are the beginnings of, of, like, a concept art, illustration, game design, film, animation, whatever community in Toronto, which, it exists, and, like, it's there, but it's not, like, like, an official thing, like, there aren't a couple hundred people that go to Jack Astor's every weekend, you know, just just talk about what we're doing, which, who knows, that might be coming. Um, fourth thing he said at the end was uh, stay respectful and stay stubborn. So, um, <laughs> you know, respect the people that you work with and the people that you look up to. And with, but with that said, like, if you want to get to where they are, you have to be stubborn about what you want to do. Like, if you don't feel like drawing, then too fucking bad, man. Get down and get drawing. Yep. Um, he said, uh, what was the fifth thing? The journey will be will be done but oh yeah um so so the journey will be hard it is hard for everybody it doesn't matter who you are you know what you want to do whether it's concept art illustration whatever but he said um but take help from a oh sorry 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 the journey will be done alone you will be alone on your journey which means it'll be hard but he said 
with that said though, take, take help from anybody who's offering it. So if you find a mentor or if you find someone who's willing to give you some advice, I mean, I don't think you or I have this problem, but you know, take their advice. Like if someone says something about your work and it's, it's, it's harsh, but it's true, then incorporate that as best you can. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not so much saying that to you. It's just the people that are listening. Or oh no, definitely. I mean, I think it's you know we talked about this um, a while back. But if you can't take on board feedback from anybody, you will really struggle in this industry. Full stop. Yeah. Because um, art directors will sometimes be your worst nightmare because they will always have a, a vision that is being drove by the creative director. So their job is to then drive the team to make sure that vision comes to fruition. Um, if you're not following that, you need to be put on track. If you can't be put on track, then you will be off track. You will be fired. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I, I guess actually on that note, like if you if if you're working in a job, for example, and you don't think you're really on track, then like don't just continue doing what you're doing. Go find your art director, whoever you report to, and be like, "Is this what you want to see?" Yeah. I'm I'm actually finding a lot with uh, with George. Like the guys, the guy's great, and his and, and his ideas are incredible. But sometimes, even with his even with his really really good pitches, sometimes I just don't get it. Yeah. And so if that's the case, and I'm like, you know what? I think this is a little too far in like the comic book direction. It's not really working for TV animation. Mm-hmm. I'll go, I'll just go talk to George. Yeah. And it really depends on who your art director or your supervisor. Your, your boss, whoever it is, but like if they're approachable, then take advantage of that. Like there if they're willing to, to tell you what they want, then you know, do that. Like it's yeah, there's yeah. no point spending you know 40 hours on tasks to come back and have to say that's completely wrong as opposed to spend two hours, go back, get feedback, and then continue on the right path. It's mm-hmm. yeah, and that's that's also where iterating quickly and being able to get stuff done very fast comes in because if you're able to you know, spend two hours on what would take someone else 40 hours and then show them that amount of work anyway. Be like, is this what you want? They'll be like, no, do something else. Yeah. All right, cool. You've spent the time, but now you can go spend your time on what they actually want. And uh, his, I mean, like, <laughs> his sixth rule for doing, you know, being a, being an awesome artist or whatever, we have repeated this a million times already on this podcast. Good. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Or don't be an asshole, don't be a dipshit, whatever you want to call it. Just be just be nice. Be a nice person. Just it. it doesn't just pertain to art, it just pertains to life. Like, it's life just, in general. Yeah. You know? yeah. If You'll someone be- cuts you off in traffic, just be like, Alright, cool. Cool man. It's, it's fine. I'm not gonna get pissed off at you. Well, good. It's like yeah. it's like it's like a fleeting thing. So yeah, just just don't be a dick. That's like uh you know, you were talking about it, I can't remember the guy's name, but the the book of how to influence people and win friends. Um Carnegie. Yes, Carnegie. Um, so yeah, he's the same. It's about being a zero and not a plus one or minus one, um, especially within conversations. Like you said, when you're talking about um, guys giving feedback or, or, or pitching stuff, you want to be sitting there and developing as much as you can, rather than be too forward or too back. You want um, to be asking more questions as opposed to telling them things, because they're the ones who are helping you and giving you advice. And as soon as you start to speak up and be like, "Well, you know, no, like, uh, actually, I was thinking of, you know, doing it this way," and um, you know, I appreciate your advice, man. But, uh, don't do that. Just don't, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with that, um, and he also uh, he also was talking a little bit about his process when it came to environment design, because that's that's sort of what his talk was on. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, very briefly, we can't really show it here because I didn't get any video of it. I didn't take any pictures of it, which is probably a good thing because I don't think we were, we were even allowed to. But basically cool. what Kalen did was he had a Photoshop file open. He was, he was up on stage and uh, he had some photographs ready. And I'm pretty sure he had either taken them or they were free stock photos. Mm-hmm. And he, he put maybe five or six photos down. And within an hour and a half, he had completely painted them over. And it just looked like he painted it from scratch. Jesus. And he was just like, so had I, had I tried to do this from scratch, 
I probably could have gotten pretty close, but I wouldn't have I, I wouldn't have had all the texture. I wouldn't have had the lighting sort of in place already. You know, like like you got to do a lot to your photos once you put them once you put them in before you even start painting them over. But yeah. the whole his whole point was like photo bashing is literally this easy. I'm doing it in front of you, and if you practice enough, it'll be just as easy for you. And I was just like, holy shit! Well, this is awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, he he also was he was also talking a little bit about tools. Um, this is pretty 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 self-explanatory, but he was talking about um, uh, let me see like mental tools. Yeah, so um, 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 the tools that you use when you're creating an illustration or concept or whatever stuff like contrast, stuff like repetition, overlap, perspective, values. Those are all the things that you sort of have to have in your mind when you're doing stuff. And then your physical or your hardware tools are you know Photoshop tools, your tablet. That's about it. Um, <clears throat> And then he was saying, uh, balancing all of the elements of sort of your your um, your fundamental design skills can be a little bit tough. Mm -hmm. And um, I might actually have to draw this and send it to you because it's it's in my notes. I drew it. It's really <laughs> shitty. Uh, but basically, there's like there's like a ball there, and uh, he wrote foundation on the ball. So all of your foundational skills. And then there was like it was it was almost like like a like a seesaw kind of thing. Balanced on the ball was was like it was like a rectangle, and there was perspective, and it was sort of like. It was it was sort of balanced like that. I'll I'll, I'll definitely have to provide a graphic or cool. even like just a picture. And then on top of that, balanced on the seesaw were all the other things like 3D, photos, color, values, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's all a balancing act. You have to have the the foundation there first. Uh, I see what you done there. <laughs> you can you can know, you you can balance all the other skills and all the other things on top of that. But if you yeah. don't have you, if you don't have your foundation and perspective on top of that, you can't really you can't really do it. You got to have those things in place. And I think what he meant by foundation were drawing skills. So yeah. like actual, you know, line art, whatever you want to call it. The, the, that also goes a lot into perspective. Yeah. And um, uh, let's see, what, what is this in the corner? There's just like random notes in the corner. Uh, give yourself reminders and timers. So let's say um, you're training yourself to work in a studio environment. Um, you, you don't want to be spending like 20, 30 hours on one painting unless it's a, like a promotional piece. If it's yeah. just a mood painting, you know, for like, for like the concept art team, or the modeling team just you know get going on an environment. You got to give yourself like an hour and a half for for your paintings. And if you're you know if you train yourself to do that while you're still an amateur or you're you're preparing to be a professional, as soon as you get into a studio environment, they're like, okay, we need four paintings today. And All you're right. like, okay, divide up my time. I got about an hour and a half for each painting. I've already done this before. Like yeah. this makes sense. Um, and uh, he was uh, he was saying about the tools. Tools make you faster and more efficient, but not necessarily better. Yeah. So you can have all the tools in the world. You can have a Cintiq. You can have the 27 HD if you want. Mm -hmm. You can have like all the Photoshop plugins and the brushes and whatnot. But it's not going to make you an, a better artist until you actually put the time in. Yeah. And he was saying that in, in, in specifically about tools, all the tools have pros and cons. Mm -hmm. So you know this brush might be good for this, but it might suck. You know doing something else. Uh, he was using um for his clouds and for his blocking in. He was using a brush that didn't have any opacity or size jitter on it. So it was basically just like it was putting down blocks that were completely opaque. Oh, cool. And he was saying that this brush in particular helps um, when I'm blocking in clouds um, just because like it, it's forcing me to think in incredibly big shapes. I can't do any rendering at all, mm -hmm. which and that was a really, really good point. I was like, shit. But he's like, if I was to do detail work with this brush, it'd be impossible. So that's a con for this particular tool. Yeah. Um, he was just like, you can still make bad decisions with good tools. So you can have, again, all the craziest shit you can get. But mm -hmm. if you haven't practiced with it and trained with it and maybe gotten some help and advice from some other people, done some tutorials, mm -hmm. you could be noodling on a painting for 10 hours and making terrible decisions 
when, you know, maybe three years in the future, when you have that knowledge, you could attempt the same painting and get it done in half an hour. Yeah. So it's about your decision making when you're using those tools. Yeah. And uh, then he quickly went into uh, photos and 3D, the pros and cons of each. Um, so for photos, the pros are you get instant color, texture, and lighting information. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were to work from scratch, you have to basically make it up as you go. So you, you, have, you have to have already studied that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but the cons are the resolution can sometimes be different. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes different photos don't match as much. So you have to be able to, in the program, manipulate the photos in the way that they, that they match each other. Or, or you can at least paint over them yourself. Yeah. Uh, and then for 3D, he said the pros for that are instant perspective and proportions are done. Mm-hmm. And uh, occasionally lighting too, if you were to you know, use lighting in your, um, in your, in your, in your 3D program, whatever. Um, the cons of using 3D occasionally are that uh, the result can be stiff or a little bit too exact. You don't get that sort of, you know, you don't get that roughness that, that comes through in a lot of realistic stuff or just real life in general. Yeah. Um, so he said like when you're using 3D, you know, Make sure, make sure you're aware of how real life looks before you do like a, like a street with, you know, perfectly straight buildings that are the exact same height. Like, you know, looking at any street in the world, it's not perfect because most cities weren't planned. They just sort of sprawl out from, from nothing. Yeah. Um, let's see. What did he say? Speeding up the process. Uh, so, yeah, he was just like, and, and a lot of people who are following this podcast and you and I both know that you can get custom brushes and use the shape tool and use photographs that, that can speed up your process, make you more efficient, but not necessarily better. So you yeah. have to have the skills first before you can start to push your efficiency. And uh, I'm almost done with Kalen's stuff. Um, let's see, process. So yeah, um, he was saying your process will continue evolving and changing. Uh, everyone is different. And even, even like, like there are definitely, you know, like universally accepted processes for, you know, putting together a painting or putting together like a character illustration. There are certain things that you want to start with first, but it does change from person to person and everyone's different. So like what he was saying is you have to develop your own playbook. You have to develop your own comfortable way to do this process. But not only that, you've also got to, you've also got to develop your own set of tools that you can sort of apply to different processes. So I don't know how else to get this across. Let's say, let's say, you know, um, you have to do like a, like a matte painting illustration one day. And then the next day you got to do some sort of like Matt Rhodes line art character illustration the next day. And right. um, he was basically like, you have to have a broad enough skill set and, and, and an efficient enough tool set to be able to do one that do one the first day and do one the next day and have enough commonalities between your own process to be able to do one and then the other immediately. And yeah. be able to instantly switch across them. It's sort of like what I'm doing right now at, at Elliot, where I have to, you know, if I'm working in production, I have to instantly switch styles to be able to match the style of the show, yeah. which I'm still have trouble, still having trouble with. And then in development, it's a little, it's a little looser. You're just sort of trying to get ideas across. Yeah. It still has to be, you know, tight enough to be clear, but you can experiment a lot more with style. So that's that's definitely a thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, th- that's about it for what he was saying about his own process. And as he was talking, obviously, he was doing this incredible photobash painting that was just like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it, was, it was fairly simple. It was, like, it was like a field and there were some mountains in the background and in the end he threw in some clouds. But just like the speed he was getting this stuff out was like, man, holy fuck. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, again, like, it's like you said, though, it's, it's, it's time on task. It's, you know, you do these things, even like, you know, when you draw. I mean, you draw to an ability that, I'm nowhere near, but you've probably drawn, like you said, you've put down that skill to being just hardcore at life drawing for the last four years. I mean, and that's that's why you can bash those things out, you know, when you were gone on the train, 
you know you were doing them in half an hour 20 minutes or however long it was because you've done mm-hmm. that many of them i mean so yeah exactly and um it's like it, it's it's um what 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 anthony jones was saying we'll talk about this later but mm. like the correlation is super obvious but where the disconnect happens is like it just takes so goddamn long yeah. And that's why so many people fall off the train because, like, you are getting better. Every time you put that pencil to paper, it might be, like, a one-thousandth of one percent of your total possible skill yeah. that you're getting in that one drawing session. But you are getting that one-thousandth of that one percent. Yeah. So, like, no matter what, you're getting better. Even if you're just fucking scribbling, like, you're, you're, your mind is working. Your mind is figuring things out. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally worth it. But then, but then we always talk about how fail, failure is one of the keys to success. Even if you, you draw something and it is bad, you learn from that and you move on. I mean, yeah, so. and I mean, like, even if the next thousand things you draw are as bad, you mm. will eventually get a little bit better. Yeah. And um, one, uh, another common theme was, like, you know, you can sit there for 100,000 hours and draw, you know, random shit that's kind of bad. You'll still get better, but you can accelerate your, your improvement by, you know, finding a mentor, getting proper instruction, you know, following tutorials, it, it's, it's really that simple. They were like, the reason people are getting so good so fast is because there's so much more stuff out there and it's yeah. allowing people to really guide their, guide their process in a way that was never possible in the history of art because yeah. it's, it's all just there. And it's like, it's like the last 10 or 20 years that this has been happening or even more recently with sites like Gumroad. So anyway, holy shit, enough about Kalen. Um, <laughs> he's awesome, but let's move on to John Polidora, who is... Um, uh, he had some he had some technical problems during his presentation, but they were they were really nothing to be worried about. Like I was just like, dude, it's fine, it's it's okay. Um, but yeah, his his presentation was on character design, and despite the technical, you know, whatever, it was it was the first conference, so there was there was a couple of hiccups here and there, but like whatever, like everything got across, it was all good. So yeah, character design, he went really really in depth with uh, with character design. Holy shit. Um, so the first thing he said was uh, when you're working on a team, and I think he was re- sort of referring to his own work at Blizzard. Yeah. Um, just, just uh, I'll, I'll just, re- I'll just repeat what he, what he's done. Um, so w- when he got into Blizzard, he was doing primarily 3D stuff, mm-hmm. and then he got a chance to work on some cards for the, uh, for the Blizzard trading card game, and he showed us some of this stuff, and he was just like, man, this is like, it's not really that great, you know? I look at it back today, and I was just, I w- I'm just like, yeah, we're all looking at these paintings, going like. Dude. <laughs> I, yeah. I really, I really, really hope you're kidding because these are <laughs> these are nowhere near the term bad. Like yeah. they are fucking good. You're blowing people out of the water who were, you know, who who are like, just just they were good. They were really, really good. Yeah, it was yeah. Good the yeah. Um. Uh. Let's see five basic structural criteria. So yeah. Um. When you're working on a on a team like the team that works on Overwatch or the teams that work on the other games at Blizzard, you're working in a big team. Everybody has ideas. And on a good team, most of those people will be able to contribute their ideas to what you're doing. And uh, your job, as a, in his case, a character concept artist or just a concept artist, is to, visualize, is to visually realize those ideas in ways that your art director and the rest of the team might not even have imagined. So you've got to take those things inside yourself and be like, okay, what can I do with this? Think yeah. outside the box, do, do things that have never, never been done before. And um, so we, uh, I'm going to have to provide a graphic for this too because it's, it's very, very specific and I might not be able to get it across just by talking. But there was this, there was this 3D box and, um, that, that he drew. Yep. And on each face of the box was a different sort of tenet of good character design. So the first, oh, again, we'll, we'll, we'll have a graphic up. This will make more sense as I'm talking about it. But mm-hmm. your base for your character design, like, like, the, like the bottom part of the cube, is purpose. 
So, like, what exactly is this character for? What kind of game is it for? What purpose do they serve in the story and gameplay? What do they do? You know, like, like what the hell? Why does this character exist? And um, uh, purpose. Uh, and, and, and not only what, are, what is it for, but who is it designed for? Who is your audience? Is it for, you know, is it, like a, is it like a preteen audience? Is it a teen audience? Is it the kind of audience that plays Blizzard games? Is it for older people? So you've also got to keep that kind of stuff in mind. And um, is the average person able to connect with your character? So, um, you know, is it is it is it incredibly obvious who this character is, what they do, you know, what their purpose is, yada, yada. Um, and then the second wall of the pyramid moving up from purpose is appeal. So basically what that means is, is it designed well? And um, one thing that he wanted to get across is, uh, does that appeal transcend your own tastes and affect other people? So does the general public connect with it? And uh, one thing he was saying was that... Um, Sometimes, you know, you might think you've designed this incredible character and it's really, really well designed, but you put it out there and people are like, oh, all right, I, I don't really like this. And um, sometimes you, and he was saying, sometimes you, you kind of have to dumb down your designs and make them more obvious than you think they should be and more appealing than, you know, you thought they, they originally should be, which is, I think that's kind of why Blizzard games have become a lot more cartoony over the years, because that appeals to a much wider audience than, you know, like realistic, dark you know, Warhammer kind of fantasy art. I love that stuff to yeah. death, but it just doesn't appeal to as wide an audience as say something like Overwatch does, which appeals to literally everyone who sees it. Like it's Yeah. Yeah. It's it's got it's got something for everybody. And that's I think another thing you gotta worry about when you're doing character design. You know, how wide can you go with this thing? How many people can you appeal to so you can, you know, like I'm I'm not saying sell out, but you know yeah. make 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 it worth your while to to design this stuff. Um so yeah, knowing knowing which demographic a character <clears throat> has the appeal to is important. Uh, it's almost impossible to to make something completely new as well. Um, so yeah, like like you're not going going to make a completely original Space Marine, you know, saving the galaxy character. Like Commander Shepard's been done, the Space Marines have been done. You know, like it's it's basically what you have to do <clears throat> is um you know mash things together, take one thing that has never been combined with another thing, and then oh look. There's some original shit right there. Yeah. Um, Which kind of comes straight from Mark Twain's way of thinking as well, when he talked about exactly. like, the death of the original ideas and how most of them are combinations of two ideas into one. Yeah. And uh, the next thing he was talking about, you know, that's actually totally true. Like, like, like you can't create an original idea. Like, mm. the hero's journey's been done. You know, all those, all those sort of character archetypes, they've already been created. Now yep. you just got to basically take what's been done mash them together and then oh look new shit yep um he was also saying so uh good character design takes story into account and when you're designing a character for a game um but i've fallen into this trap a lot too which is and this is this is what really blew my mind and it's so obvious when you think about it but when you're designing a character don't design them like you know decked out in like crazy armor and it's all ornate and they got like a million pouches on them and like they got like (laughs) four fucking swords yeah because that's the character at the end of their story what the right. fuck does that character look like at the beginning? They might just be wearing a freaking shirt and pants, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a really, really good way to show a character's progression through a story and, you know, personality-wise, visually. Like, I was just like, oh my god, holy crap, I'm totally, I'm totally going to start doing that. Like, shit! <laughs> but it, it makes sense, and a, a, lot of, a lot of animation studios have that mindset. You know, design a character, you know, when they're age five, and then do five more iterations of that character up until they're age, like, 80. Because then you can see their entire arc and how they might change physically, mentally, blah, blah, blah. So um, visually showing a character's arc through how you design them is a great way to, to you know, to like, like force more story into your design. Yeah. Um, 
let's see, character design and animation. Yeah, um, he said that when you're watching, you know, say like an animated film, I'm just going to go with, I don't know, what's something everyone's seen? Uh, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Disney films. Okay. When you watch characters like that, as you, as you watch the film more, those characters have to read multiple times, and you have to work enough subtlety into, into their acting to be able to give, give people a different experience multiple times around, which I think that, 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 among other things, might be why Blizzard's Overwatch cinematics are affecting people a lot more than, say, something like Riot or all of the other game cinematics that are out there because they have those subtleties. When you rewatch them you know, more and more and more times... You're getting different things out of out of out of characters because there's just so much more depth. There's so much more layers, you know, to their just 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 who they are, which is also pretty incredible. Like all the thought that goes into this is like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, man, the, these these walls of design. I'm getting confused now. Um, <laughs> he was talking about uh, good composition. So um, basically, and this is good composition that 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 is character specific. Mm-hmm. You're gonna want to have good shape and silhouette. Um, and, and also what do the general shapes tell us about the specific character? So like if the character is more or less squared shaped in silhouette, then they're a lot, you know, they're a lot stockier. They're a lot more grounded. They're firmer. They're, they're, they're harder to push over physically and mentally, um, contrast. So, uh, focus to different areas of interest. Like, let's say, um, most characters you're going to, you're going to want to focus, you know, all, most of your, most of your interest to their face because that's what does the acting. Um, second and third, maybe their hands and feet because hands are also very expressive. And, um, then after that, all your tertiary areas of interest, like their armor and their weapons, if they're like a game character, um, like that's also important, but you want to really, you know, keep in mind, like in this character design, what do I want people to look at first? What has to read first? Um, he was talking about line, which of course doesn't actually exist. It's not a real thing in nature, but it's a good way to get across designs at, you know, from a beginning, from a beginning stage and sketches, maybe even all the way to the end, depending on what the end style of your character is. So line is important just because, um, you can also, you can also, you know, like use lines in, uh, in realistic, you know, art, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's more to show a value change. So like 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 light skin to dark clothing, that's technically a line. The the barrier between the two, so you can use those. Yeah. Um, and then color, uh, temperature differences. And actually, it's cool that he was saying this in his talk. And I knew he wasn't bullshitting about this stuff because as soon as he looked at my stuff in the portfolio review, he was saying the exact same shit. He was just like, you can really improve this painting by making the foreground elements. Um, he was he was talking about the um, the Mad Max speeder bike sort of Star Wars mashup oh, cool. that I did. Yeah. He was like, so. This is, you know, it's it's good, it's okay, but here's how you can here's how you, uh, here's how you can improve it. Um, mm. The um, the the stuff in the foreground, which is like the speeder and the and the two people sitting on it, if they were if they were like one specific temperature, like say warm, and the background was more cool, they would pop quite a bit more than yeah. they are now. And I was just like, oh my god, I'd never <laughs> thought of that. And I knew he was gonna blow my mind going in, but I was just like, okay, shit, yeah, you're totally right, man. Yeah. Um, and he was also saying character design isn't one drawing, it's a hundred. Right. So you look at any animation character design or like even game character design, like it's, it's, it's just exploration, iteration, algorithmic design. It's, it's, it's just, just building and building and building until you finally get something that, you know, everyone agrees is probably the best of those 300 drawings that you've done so far and, you know, slowly developing. Uh, so anyway, um, I've sort of gotten off track with the with um, with with uh, with the cube of character design, but yeah. all four walls basically are what is the purpose of the character, mm. who does it appeal to, and how does it appeal, um, the uh, usefulness of 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 the character and all their elements in the story. So you know, like 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 what 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 
um, in the story, who are they? Are they a main character? Are they an enemy? Are they, uh, are they an ally, a tertiary character, NPC? What, what importance do they have? And then worrying about composition, like, like your specific character composition, going back to the shape, silhouette, uh, contrast, line, and color. Yep. Um, the also, uh, one thing that he, that he talked about at the end was emotion and movement exploration. So when you're designing a character, which is actually something that I've been doing for a while, and I was just like, why isn't anyone else doing this? Doing facial expressions, doing acting poses, putting them into scenes with other characters, exactly like what Matt Rhodes does, and yeah. being like, how does this character react to this very specific situation? If yeah. you can answer that question instantly, you know, like, like what happens when you put, you know, what happens when you send Boba Fett to assassinate Mon Mothma? You know, does he just yeah. shoot her and, that, and it's game over? Or does Mon Mothma, as a very, very diplomatic character, convince Boba Fett not to fucking kill her? Like, <laughs> that's character development right there. I'm just like, oh my god, he's fucking <laughs> awesome. Um, and uh, he was also talking about, so, so his demo now, moving into demo rather than theory, yeah. is um, he, uh, I can't remember who he was talking to, but he asked a whole bunch of people that he had previously worked with, I think it was people he previously worked with, you know, let's come up with a character just, you know, on paper, and then I will visually realize that character, and we'll see how accurate I can get. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like, it was like, a, like a, he was, it was kind of a mishmash, but he, he did it pretty well. It was, a, it was actually quite a good character design. Um, it, was like, it was like a fisherman guy with like an enormous hook, and he had like, like a peg leg. And, uh, you know, like a beard and like a really, really sort of sad, sullen expression. But it was interesting how he was able to get like a big, gruff dude to still look appealing. I was just like, man, that's good. Um, it was it was a very, very blizzardy way of do way of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, so that was I was sort of like a group imagination exercise that he was talking about. And um, he was saying like all the elements that he that he would require people like like questions that he would ask people to answer mm -hmm. things like, you know, what is the character's story? What's the character's personality? How do they fit into the world? Um, uh, what are some maybe suggested visual story hints for things that might have happened to the character in the past? You know, does the does the guy have a scar? Is it, or is is his clothing clean? How much clothing is he wearing? Is it all scuffed up? You know, all of that will tell you things about a character subconsciously that you might not you know you might not think of, even though some of us do because if we're analyzing the shit out of stuff. But to a general audience, you know, how can you subconsciously suggest who this character is just by their visual design before yeah. they even open their mouth? Yeah. Um, uh, consider world type. Yeah, we've gone over that. Clothing accessorization, uh, pose, movement, emotion, and expression ideas. So doing all that development before you finally reach the final character design. Yeah. Um, and uh, then he was moving into, yeah, so um, when given feedback, you got to listen to the art director implicitly. Um, when presenting an idea, come up with multiple versions. The first idea is usually not the best or most like the AD's vision for the project. Mm -hmm. So, um, and uh, his his example of that was um, he came up with with like sort of like a younger female character design, and then he had um, uh, it was cool. So he uh, he he did nine drawings um, divided in, into groups of three, and each group of three were were like sort of uh, um, uh, they sort of had like like a like like a similar shape riff on them. So like mm. like three of them were based on squares, three of them were based on circles, three of them were based on on um, on triangles. And he was just like, so yeah, this is what you should be presenting to an art director not one drawing of one character, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And, like, I was just like, man, that's... <laughs> you got to be able to draw fucking fast to be able to do that kind of stuff. And, I mean, yeah. but that's where, that's where like, Kalen Chalk's um, tool sort of lecture was coming in. Like, using your, your Photoshop tools, you do one drawing of one character, copy it over, change the clothing. Copy it over again, change the clothing again. Like, that'll, that'll speed up your process so friggin' fast. You'll be able to bring, like, 20 drawings to an art director as opposed to, you know, one. 
Um, let's see. Oh my god, it just keeps going and going. Uh, so yeah, he was doing his character demo at this point. Um, <clears throat> uh, start with yeah. So um, he was basically just going through how he starts with you know like a character character design demonstration. Basically, to start with a really shitty doodle when you're when you're when you're first getting into a character design. Maybe do some thumbnails if you're not absolutely sure. But mm. if you've already gotten some sort of design brief or a pitch from a director, or you've asked a bunch of people what they want out of a character, that'll sort of that'll sort of channel your design enough that you don't have to do all that initial you know hundred thumbnail exploration. You'll basically just be able to jump right into it, and then after that, you do your variation. Yeah. Um, so you want to start with your with your with with a base color, lock the layer, do all, get all your local colors in there, do like a texture pass that also includes ambient occlusion, so that's your basic shadow pass. Um, and then uh, do that on top to make rendering easier. I really should have some sort of sort of visual here for this, but yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, and, that, and then he basically just continued on with the demo. After that, he was just painting it in front of us, um, sort of painting out all the lines. Um, he was also uh, intuitive design versus thought out design. Um, shape more of how the characters experience. I'm just going through the rest of my notes. I might yeah, be repeating yeah. myself. Figuring out. Oh yeah, figuring out the balance of detail within your character. So you're not going to want to have like a hundred percent. You know crazy detail throughout all of your character it's going back to uh to you know drawing focus to to specific areas you might want to make the face and the neck and the shoulders really really detailed and then have the arms pretty bare maybe the torso really really bare to sort of draw all the interest up to the face because that's what's doing all the acting Mm -hmm. or let's say if your character has a really really cool weapon maybe leave out detail in the rest of the character so you can draw detail to that really incredibly intricate intricately designed weapon that kind of thing. Um, let me see. Concept art. Timing uh, in stages depends on how fast you get. Oh, yeah. Then he started talking about, so when you're working in production, you might be doing concept art, but the speed of your concept art depends not only on how fast you're able to get it out, but also how fast you're able to get approval on this stuff. Yeah. And if you're working in a bigger studio, or even if you're working at a studio like Elliot, for example, sometimes you might like. Sometimes your art director might be in a meeting and they might not be able to immediately sort of get, look at your stuff, either approve it or give you more changes for it, and then you go back to the drawing board and you do stuff. But that's that's sort of where where the where the long development time comes in in concept art. Like you have to get approval on your stuff before you can move on. Yeah. So what he was saying was having multiple projects on the go, even when you're in production in the studio, is pretty like it's a pretty good idea because. If you can't, you know, get feedback on your stuff, are you just going to sit there or are you going get to get to work on something else? Yeah. So that's, that's why having multiple projects is good. Um, you're also going to get feedback from every stage of the process. So the riggers might have a problem with your design. The modelers might have a problem. Animators, art directors, the partners, the publishers, random people on the outside, they might all have an opinion about your design. And you have to be able to take into account all those opinions and be able to satisfy all those people, or at least to the best of your ability. Yeah, you know, come up with something that that everyone is at least okay with. As you know, as crazy as that sounds, like talking about the caliber of these artists being like, you know, this design's incredible. What the hell's wrong with it? And some random publisher might be like, oh, you know, can't really put my finger on it, but I don't like all of this, so completely redo it. Yeah. And you're just like, what? That, that's not even feedback, man. Like, <laughs> no way. <laughs> um. Let's see. Thought out process for color choice distribution. Yeah, he was he was saying um, uh, he he sort of does his color choice and his distribution of colors throughout his characters kind of randomly. Like he he just does it by feel. Mm. You know, there 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 are definitely ways to do it. You know, like monochromatic color schemes and t- uh, um, uh, whatever all the other other color schemes are. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there are ways to do it. 
Or you could just do it intuitively and just sort of get really, really good at figuring out, okay, so when I'm looking at this liner of this character, what are the first colors that pop to mind? Get them down, see if they work. If not, change it. You know, it's, it's kind of how, how he and I both approach it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And um, then I asked him a question, uh, how much colored line art versus fully rendered concepts are needed in the, uh, sort of in, in the production process? And he was just like, it really depends on the, on the end style of the game. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at something like Overwatch, which is based on like the, the real you know, 90s and, and uh, early 2000s uh, Capcom art, all that stuff was line art. It looked like comic book art. And if you look at Arnold Sang, Arnold, is that how you pronounce his last name? He did all of the original concepts for Overwatch, or at least those final character designs that everyone's seen. Yeah. Everyone was trying to riff off those designs, but if you notice, that shit is line art. Just, yeah. like, um, just like Matt Rhodes' stuff. I keep bringing him up just because he's on my mind, but like, yeah. it's line art. Line art is legitimate in concept art. You know, like yeah. it, as long as you can get the character across and it's clear... It might even be clearer if it's if it's you know if it's not like really really muddy photo textures. Like if you could just bang out a really clear character and use line art, then like that's legit. Who cares? Yeah. Um, it also requires a range of skill to be able to do that. If you're working on a project where like even even in Blizzard, if you're working on Overwatch, that's line art. If you're working on something like World of Warcraft or Hearthstone, you're gonna have to be doing a ton of painting, and it's all rendered. There are no lines in that in that sort of game universe. Yeah. So you're gonna have to be prepared to you know have the have the range of skill to tackle that. Mm-hmm. Um, then he was talking about a character design geared portfolio. This is pretty important for people that want to do character design in production and show that in a portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna want to show the entire execution of a character, what you do from beginning to end. Whether that's thumbnails, sometimes written notes can be enough. Um, then you want to do refined drawings, you want to do shape studies, line studies, finished work, uh, color studies of your characters, rough sketches, variations on those, you know, different, like everything that's involved in the, in the, in the, in the development of your character. Yeah. That's what studios and recruiters and art directors are going to want to see, as opposed to just, you know, like, like the one finished design that you went with. And they're, they're going to want to know what the thought process was. It's not just like, you know, did you copy this from somewhere? How did you how did you get there? You know, what's yeah. your, you know, how do you think about this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And um, holy shit, man, I think I'm actually almost at the end. Cool. Uh, yeah, so that was pretty much it for John Polidora. Just like an absolute dump of just crazy awesome, you know, design, yep. character design stuff. Uh, yeah, so next up is Dan Levisi, but before that, I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Well, just for your drinking, I was just noticing that, I'd, you know, I hadn't really taken a lot of uh, notice to John uh, Polidoro's art, but um, just seeing the amount of stuff that he's done that I know of that I didn't realise was him. Um, even the stupid thing about um, all the chibi versions of the sprays you get in Overwatch that are like the chibi versions of the characters he'd done them all. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, yeah, he's done promotional art for Diablo 3. He's done promotional art for Miss of Pandaria. And then, like, completely other side of the style spectrum, he's doing the chibi art. And then he's yeah. doing stuff for Overwatch. And then he's doing stuff for, like, fucking StarCraft and World of Warcraft. Like, mm. the guy's range is incredible. Yep. And then um, a lot of the stuff on his art station is actually his own personal work. And his personal work is even more different than all the stuff that he does for Blizzard. Like, wow. it's all, like, you know, cool animation sort of geared fantasy you know, witches and, like, anthropomorphic animals. It's just like, holy fuck, man! Quite the He's, spectrum, yeah. Yeah, so good. The only note that I have for Dan Lubisi is his name, and then one point, just be awesome. Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's bit, like, it was, it, was, it was impossible to take notes during his presentation because he was just such a good speaker. Like, I, yeah. I couldn't take my eyes off him. And uh, 
he like instantly connected with the audience and I was, but and I was just like wait a second this is not his first time doing that and when he was talking he was explaining how he's how he's pitched LMS to like you know Paramount executives and people from like you know DreamWorks and like all the big movie studios he's already had to pitch to them he has so much experience talking to people yeah and I was just like that's how he's maintaining this energy level that's how he's so good at networking cuz like he's had to do it for the past 10 15 years working on this incredible new IP of his so just going back into into his backstory briefly, um, I think out of everyone who who was at Edge Control, they've all worked incredibly hard. But I think Dan, you know, from from what they were all saying, I think Dan's probably been through the most shit out of all of them. Like, wow. you know, been really beat down a whole bunch of times and somehow come back even stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking about how I think it was in in elementary school, it, you know, like early grades. Uh, his teachers were telling his parents that like this this kid's never going to get past flipping burgers. And, and as, as a kid, as like a dumb little kid, he was just like, okay, that's uh, okay, fine. (laughs) And, um, he was uh, actually, I think a lot of this information, um, is also in a couple of interviews he's done. He's, he's told this story more than once, but it was still really, really cool, cool to hear it from him in person. But he was, he was like, so my dad was a really, really awesome painter who eventually decided to drop painting because, um, some stuff was happening in his family and uh, he became, I believe it was an accountant or something like that, like a much more traditional job that, you know, had the steady paycheck and all that. And But his dad was already was always really, really hard on him. Like, he would bring him a drawing, and he'd be like, good, but do but like, like you could do way the fuck better. And, yeah. it, like, it was never enough for him. And so I think that's why, even from an early age, uh, Dan Levisi really, really, um, at least from what, from what he was saying, you know, he was always pushing farther and farther and, you know, more ahead and faster to the point where, like, you know, and he, uh, he said that even today he's still not that fast of a painter. But when you look at his stuff, like, it doesn't matter. He's freaking incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just looking at his stuff now. Like, this this one of, uh, of um, uh, what's his name? His main character in, in LMS, Gabriel, punching this guy. And just, like, the amount of force and intensity that's going into this punch and the rendering level that's maintained throughout. Like, the guy's just unbelievably good. So, um, he was talking about throughout his presentation, all the stuff that sort of went into the creation of LMS mm. and um, how he met up with a partner uh, who, who, who was able to get him sort of his first uh, industry jobs working on films and stuff, but he wasn't getting paid very well for any of them, even though he was doing this incredible work. Yeah. And um, then he, uh, I, so he, um, I can't remember exactly, this is, uh, this is why I should probably take a notes during his presentation, but the gist <laughs> of the story was he was doing a lot of stuff, not getting paid for it, realized that you know he had this idea this this thing that he wanted to do that and i mean like when he gave us the pitch of what lms is i was just like oh my god this is so fucking good this has to become a film yeah and um but it took him a really really long time to to do lms and basically what it exists as right now is a very very large book called uh, lms kill book of a bounty hunter which i own and i wish i had a webcam so i could show you yeah <laughs> um but it's this it's this incredibly long book that has that that, that basically tells the story of gabriel who's this who's this um this super soldier created in the future. I'm not going to get into the story details. Yeah. If you guys want to hear the story, go buy the book because it's <laughs> awesome. But basically what it is, it's, it's, a, um, it's a dossier of all these people that, that sort of screwed him over that he has to kill. Mm-hmm. And through those stories of, those, of those, all these incredibly diverse characters that he has to eventually go after, you know, like it's, it's a really awesome, huge universe that he's able to get across just through these, you know, descriptions of these characters and these really, really well done illustrations of them. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, you know, it's it's a it's it's basically a parody of our own society when you get when 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 you get right down to it. That's what LMS is. Like it's you know this this war hero who's eventually turned into a pop culture so, a celebrity, but then things eventually go bad. He gets thrown into prison by all these people that screwed him over, and it's just it's it's awesome. But the real message of his story was like, <laughs> no matter how bad you got it. Just think of Dan Luvisi and realize the kind of shit that that guy's had to go through to get to work today. <laughs> um, and like, like the amount of work that he has had to do at, at the caliber that he's doing it, that he wasn't paid very well, and still he persisted. And you know, like even when he was, even when he was doing LMS, he was trying to get this incredibly large book done. Yeah. Like he had no idea if it was going to succeed or not. He thought that you know he was just doing this work that is just going to get forgotten forever. Yeah. Not not the case today because I mean. Like just look up his name or LMS, and he's huge. Like he's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, but yeah, just like persistence is key. And there are people out there who have done much greater things and sacrificed and suffered a lot more than you have. And so just like keep that in mind. You know, it's it's uh, it's a big world out there. And if you want to be the best, you know, you really really got to put yourself through it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, not intentionally. Don't go looking for trouble. <laughs> yeah. But you really really got to put the work in. And when you put the work in. Things are going to start to happen. People are going to start to notice. And even if it takes 10, 15 years for people to notice, just keep doing it. They will eventually notice. And if you get to his level, you're going to have people like friggin' Paramount knocking on your door being like, yo, can we make this thing into a movie? Yeah. And uh, there, there's a lot more to his backstory. So if you guys want to learn more about Dan Levisi, you can actually hear it from him. I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing and butchering the crap out of his story. But he's done interviews with other, with other um, podcasts and artists before who... You know he's, he's he's gone into detail about what he's done, and he's obviously able to tell his own story better than I can. Yep. Um, so that was the that was the end of the first day. You know, like a, a long-winded, just crazy dump of inspiration and technical. You know, awesome. Mm-hmm. So then, what what they did is uh, they set up portfolio reviews with uh, all the Crush visual guys, all six main artists who were there doing their talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone who wanted to get their portfolio reviewed sort of lined up, and uh, you know we were able to go in. <clears throat> So just uh, my own personal experience, I, I actually talked to a lot, of, a lot of other people who got their portfolios reviewed. Everyone got really, really good feedback, and uh, um, they were able to really, you know, start to think about how to push their work forward. But the first day, I talked to John Polidora, and admittedly, the guy was really tired because, um, you know, like like they're all or most of them are from from California, you know, Irvine or LA specifically. Yeah, it's for the travel like, one. Yeah, traveling, and apparently they've been partying the night before, and like just really, really tired. But I was able to show JP my stuff, and uh, you know he liked it. He was like, you know, you might want to, you know, consider applying for some game studios, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I showed him my film. He's like, I'm not an animator, but you know, I can give you some feedback on this. He was able to give me some really, really good feedback on my stuff. So yeah, it was cool. Then um, after that was the after party, which was also friggin' awesome. And I noticed, um, uh, like. Uh, <laughs> I'm still I'm still kind of new to the whole networking thing and you know a little bit of social anxiety going on there but it yeah. evaporated within the first couple hours cuz like all of those guys are just like they're just there to hang out they're there to give people good advice they're not you know you know high and mighty up on their own you know horse of awesomeness they're just like we're just like you just a little farther ahead on the path and yeah. I was just like wow all my fears are gone let's like talk about some cool shit so we were like uh we were talking about smash bros and you know, like different movies that we've seen and really terrible movies that we've seen. And then like, you know, about the state of the industry and yeah. what's going on at Blizzard. And then they were like, yeah, tell us about your stuff. And I was just like, here's you know, my stuff. And then I was like, tell me about your stuff. And it was just, it was a really, really good networking experience. Probably one of the best I've had. And I think obviously, you know, having done a couple industry talks, I'm getting a little better at it. I still yeah. got a lot of, a long way to go. Um, then after the after party, 
um, it was a really, really sort of impromptu thing. They were just like, yo, let's like go, go to a restaurant somewhere. And so um, we, we all, like 40 people tried to pile into a restaurant that was a little ways away. And eventually we had to leave because there was too many fucking people in there. <laughs> and then we went to Jack Astor's. But at that point, I was really tired and I was just like, okay, there's a whole other fucking day of this shit. Yeah. I'm going to have to go home. So I went home, you know, biked across the city. It was actually a really long way. Um, went to sleep and then I got up at like, it was like 9am. It was super early. Then we, then we just went back. And then the next day, yeah. So, um, okay. Getting into Jomaro stuff. I'll, I'm working mostly from memory here because honestly, I don't have any notes for Jomaro. <laughs> I was so you're, fucking tired. You're doing well. You spoke for like an entire hour and you've, you've done it pretty much unprompted. So <laughs> nice. Well, you know what, if you have anything, if you have anything you want to throw in, like feel free, you know, like, yeah, if you're if you straight up disagree just be like dude no i disagree with that <laughs> anyway um so jamaro kindred um i've been following his work for quite a long time uh he actually had he had a contest that he was putting up on patreon called art fight club which is really cool he did like an illustration for it and the concept basically was um every um all the all the donations to the patreon eventually go into the prize pool i think it was around 500 bucks and uh he was able to get around 300 of that from Patreon, and then the other, you know, whatever remained, um, he basically paid out of his own pocket. And for a while he was doing it, but he wasn't able to get enough people into it, so he, he put it on hiatus. And uh, the cool thing was, one of them was a character design challenge for Dan Luisi, for, for LMS. And um, so I did the first one, and uh, I was doing the second one, but I was, I was sort of getting into fourth year, and I was, you know, I was doing a whole bunch of stuff for my film. I couldn't do both at once, and so I was just like, man, I, I gotta drop out of this. So I felt a little bad about that when he was talking about it, but apparently he's gonna get it back up and running, because now that more people know about it, and more people are interested in doing a contest like that, you know, like, it, it could become something really big. So that's one thing that he's done. But yeah, Jamaro's an artist, works for Blizzard on the Hearthstone team. Um, he's done a lot of work for them. And uh, I was telling you about this, but <clears throat> how he got into Blizzard is pretty kick-ass. Oh, is so, this um, the, the website? This is the website. So, um, and I'm trying to remember the studio that he worked for beforehand because he'd done a whole bunch of, uh, like, like comic art. He'd done a ton of commissions for people. Um, what was the, it was a, it was a stu- I'm going to have to look this up uh, or maybe we can just put it in the, in the show notes or something. But he yeah. worked for a company previously um, and he was able to work on, like, Black Ops 2 and Borderlands 2 and do a lot of concept art for that kind of stuff. So he basically gathered all of the concept art that he was able to show publicly and then all of the fan art that he was doing for all of Blizzard's properties like, you know, <clears throat> um, like World of Warcraft and Hearthstone and all that. He did a couple of Hearthstone cardbacks, put it together in this big website, called it I Want to Work for Blizzard and then just started sending it to all the Blizzard recruiters. <laughs> and I, I don't know what the time frame was, but within a relatively short amount of time, he had a job there. Yeah. And so Jomaro's point, like, obviously he wasn't just bragging about that story, but he was basically saying, if you want a job somewhere, you got to stand out. You can't just send them a, a, you know, like, like a regular portfolio, like the other 10,000 submissions they get for every single job opening, because yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if those numbers are, are even close to accurate, yeah. because like, everyone wanna works there. It's, uh, wants to work there. It's like, as you said, the holy mecca of, um, you know, of, 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 of art in, in the games industry. Like, Blizzard is is top, or it's one of the top studios. Yeah. And uh, he was just like, if you want to, if you want to get into a place like that, you got to find a way to make yourself different and mm. you know surprise people and be like, whoa, this person's different. This person's cool. Mm. Let's let's like, and 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 your work might not even be as strong as the other people who are you know submitting traditional portfolios and you know doing that kind of stuff. But yeah. if you're able to do something that blows them out of the water, 
in more of like a creative way, like what he did, making a whole goddamn website, like shit. That's, he said like any job you want or anything you want in life, just like Dan Luvisi, he had to, he had to really pull out all the stops to get to where he wanted to go. Like you can't just sit idly by or passively try to do something. You got to go for it with like everything you got. Yeah. And, uh, Another thing he was talking about is uh, he used to play a game called City of Heroes, which is like a sort of an older... Oh my god, that used to be uh, my fucking... Oh, I love that game. So yeah. good. So um, uh, he got pretty damn good at the game. And uh, at the time, he was, also, he was also starting up his illustration career. He was also talking about sort of how he got started as well. And um, I don't want to butcher the story, so I'll just tell the, the, the City of Heroes story. But um, <clears throat> he, was, he started getting a lot of commissions on the City of Heroes forums for people's you know, individual characters. And uh, he was just like, whoa, this is really cool. And at the time, he was doing conventions for the t-shirt company he was working at, doing illustrations for those. Mm -hmm. But he started to get too many commissions to the point where he was getting, like, you know, he got, like, uh, I don't know the exact number, but it was too fucking many for him to handle. And he was just like, oh, my God, holy fuck, these people are paying me for this. And so he, um, he, he sort of went a little too far in that direction. And so he had to basically pull everything back and spend, like, eight fucking months to get that stuff done. But his message, his message with that story was like, you know, freelance is all well and good, but you got to know your limits. Yeah. You know, you can't. I mean, like, and at the time he'd never done 80 illustrations, you know, like, and, and these illustrations, like, they're not just like sketches of characters they're full goddamn renders. Yeah. And like, it's a wonder that he got, you know, 70 or 80 of those or potentially a couple hundred done mm-hmm. in like eight months. That's incredible. Like, I remember yeah. doing fan expo prints, like each one would take me a couple of days. and I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. Multiply that by like a hundred. There's no way I would have gotten this shit done in like eight months. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's just like, like you got to be aware of what you're getting into when you get when when you get into stuff, and you know, like know know how much you can take on. But if you really really want something, you got to be able to take on more than anybody else to get there. Yeah. So, um, see what else did he say? Um, and he was also doing a really really cool demo of um. Uh, it, it was basically like a drawing demo, sort of showing his process. He was just like, so basically what this is, is it's a warm-up. Mm-hmm. And what I want to show you guys is when I'm warming up, a lot of the stuff I do isn't as great as the stuff that you see at the end of my process. Yeah. And, uh, and like, like he, he actually changed five or six times what he was doing. It was, it was a sketch of like a, like a really, really, you know, like crazy, awesome, sexy female character. But it took him five or six iterations and multiple character designs before he finally got something that he was happy with. And he's like, okay, I'm warmed up. And then uh, over the rest of that day, he was actually finishing up the character design, which is also like, oh, shit. Like, like he, he finished that stuff. And I was just like, wow, he was doing this in front of people. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure it's on his Facebook. So um, if we can find it, we can post it, too, or yeah. show, it, show it in the, in the podcast. But it was, it, was, it was really, really well done. He was taking prompts from the audience doing that kind of stuff. He was sort of showing little Photoshop tricks that were also really cool. Um, and just motivating people. Be like, if you want something, do what I did. Not exactly what I did, but do, go to the level that I went to to get a job at Blizzard to do you know, what else it is that you want to do. Um, so then moving on to Frank Hong, who, uh, and like Frank's journey was interesting because uh, I was sitting beside my friend Will, and we, we both just graduated from Sheridan Animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he also graduated from Sheridan Animation quite a while ago, though. He went through all four years, found out around, I think, I think it was around second year, which, interestingly enough, is around the time that most people in Sheridan Animation who eventually become concept artists sort of find out they want to do that. Nice. And so uh, he had two years of training at Sheridan, and then he, uh, he sort of got out into the industry. And he's, he's got quite a bit of, um, quite a few, uh, you know, really awesome 
um, you know, like just properties and people that he's worked from work for under his belt. Um, but his main, the main focus of his talk was the whole resistance thing, and it's, it's it's cool that he called it resistance. He's just like, yeah, as soon as resistance rears its head, you got to be able to, you know, meet it head on and you know, uh, figure it out. And he was also talking. He was he was pretty well researched too. He was talking about, um, I think it was. Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but he was using it to um, uh, to sort of like illustrate, you know, like a, a, a working artist in your career. What are all the needs that you need to fulfill in order to be happy and you know successful and fulfilled and all that shit? Um, so I guess we'll, we'll we'll have to put a graphic of this up. But the first one <clears throat> was psychological. So like your psychological needs: are you are you sane? Are you happy? You know. Blah blah blah, and oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Not psychological, physiological. Do you have food? Do you have water? There we go. Do you have shelter? And then the next one was security and safety. So like, are you gonna die tomorrow? You know, like, are there people bashing down your door? Um, and then uh, belonging. So if you're working at a studio or you're working freelance, do you feel like you're a part of a community or you're part of a team where you matter? Blah blah blah. Then your self-esteem needs. So. At your current skill level, are you happy with where you are, or and you know, like, like just in general, are you sort of like happy with the kind of person that you are? Are you happy with you know, like your body and all that stuff? And then finally, your self-actualization needs, which are um, more of like your creative needs. So, like, are you creating new things? Are you you know pushing yourself forward skill-wise and all that? Uh, then there's a whole bunch of drawings that I did, which are not part of my notes. <laughs> and then just one point that says resistance is a bastard, which it is, <laughs> but you got to be able to sort of hit it, hit it, hit it head on. And so now this is, this is interesting. Um, he was, uh, he was defining sort of what are the characteristics of an amateur artist versus a professional artist. And so the characteristics of an amateur artist are they don't have consistent output in their work. So like they might draw like crazy for a couple of days and then not draw for a couple of months. Whereas a professional, they have consistent daily or at least bi-daily output of, you know, semi-quality work. And that's sort of how you get, how you get bigger and how you get stronger art, you know, art skill wise. Yeah. And uh, then when you're, when you're an amateur, when, when you work, you're usually just working for fun. You're doing art for fun. And if it's not fun, then you don't do art. Whereas, as a professional, when you're working, you're not only working from like 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 you don't you don't just work for fun. You work for money, but you also work when you don't want to work. You sit down and draw when you don't feel like drawing. Yeah. Um, and then as an amateur, um, this is where things get a little bit murky because as a professional, you know you can do this, but amateurs are very very fix fixated on projects. And if you don't have a project, you're not creating. Yeah. So that's that's sort of like and it's like I actually see a little bit of that in myself. Like sometimes when I'm when I don't have like a real solid project, like for example my film or development work at work to work on, I'm just like, what the fuck else do I do? Yeah. Like the answer is obvious, just do some personal work or do mm. some sketches or put some stuff up on Instagram. But a lot of amateur artists only, you know, fixate on projects, whereas professional artists are very independent. They're very proactive no matter what they're doing. Yeah. Um, amateur artists have a lot of insecurities that they haven't dealt with yet. And when I say haven't dealt with yet, I mean like you will eventually deal with those. You just got to get through them. Mm -hmm. Whereas professionals uh, are, are very, very patient. They've worked through their insecurities. If new ones pop up or old ones sort of crop back in, they instantly stamp them out. Talk a little bit later about how to do that. Um, then amateur artists have grandiose fantasies. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to be like an art director for Pixar and all that shit. Whereas... <laughs> Professionals are like, okay, I have those fantasies, but I'm not going to let them control my destiny. I'm not going to fixate on them because I know how much work it's going to have to take to get there. Yeah. And um, amateurs don't realize 
you know, how much shit you're going to have to go through to become that crazy art director at Pixar, if that's your, if that's your goal. And then a um, couple more. Uh, amateurs have a really, really high feel of failure. Fear of failure, sorry. Like, like you do a drawing, you're like, oh my god, this isn't good. Yeah. I see that on myself so much, I still haven't worked through that. Yeah. But um, as a professional, not only do you have to, have to basically be completely okay with failure, but you can't take rejection personally. So going back to that art director thing, you do yeah. something for someone and they're like, do it better, do it this way, you can't take that personally. It's not an attack on you. It's just, it's just business is basically yeah. what it is. You did something, it's not quite close enough to the vision of the, of the project that you want. It doesn't have anything to do with your level of skill. You just didn't quite hit what you were supposed to hit, so go back and do it. Like It's yeah. that simple. Um, amateurs are pleasure-seeking. They draw for fun. They draw because it feels good, whereas professionals are challenge-seeking. They do things because they're hard, and they do things because they want to push forward, and they want to become more skilled, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and then, lastly, uh, amateurs don't have the guts, and professionals do have the guts. They have learned to develop a really, really thick skin and a strong stomach, and they've plunged into things that they really, really didn't think were possible, and they came out swinging. They yeah. came out, like, guns blazing, flags flying, and it was awesome. But you've got to you know, be willing to take that plunge to risk not being able to deliver on that deadline. So, you know, it's like, yeah. Um, and then lastly, um, amateurs are, are just people, whereas a professional might, um, might represent a company or a brand or some sort of professional alias. Like, for example, Anthony Jones's name, you know, uh, Robot Pencil or Q-Brush or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the difference between an amateur and, and a professional as he sees it, which I mostly agree with. Like I was just like, wow, it's a good breakdown, man. Um, <clears throat> and then he was saying, going back to resistance, resistance is fueled by fear. So um, stuff like rejection and ridicule and embarrassment and anxiety about your work, all of those things fuel fear, which in turn fuels that, that resistance. And I think his, his definition of resistance was basically like that fear of a blank canvas, like, okay, like, oh, God, what do I draw? And even if I draw it, like, is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? But yeah. you kind of, like, it's obvious, again, all, the, all of these messages are obvious, but they're so hard to think of by yourself because it's just, like, the only way to get through it is to just do it, you know? Yeah. Just, like, just put down enough marks on the page until the marks on, the, on that page aren't only, not, aren't, not only look good, but they're done with purpose and you understand what you're doing. Um, he was like, fear is good. If it didn't matter, you wouldn't be afraid of it. If you weren't feeling, you know, really, really just like, oh, God, I don't feel good in this situation. Like, it, it's you're like no matter what you're growing, even if you're in a really, really bad studio and people are treating you terribly, you're gaining experience, you know, in that in that in that environment, even if it's a bad environment, and you're getting pushed around a little bit later in life. If you're pushed around, you've already gone through it once and you're just like, yeah, man, whatever. I'm shrugging this shit off. I got better things to do. Yeah. Um, experience and work ethic will save you. So if you're in a situation where you're feeling really, really down on yourself or you've experienced a horrible failure, all of that discipline and work ethic that you sort of built up over the years and all the experience of, you know, doing things that you never, never thought possible and then suddenly you did them, those things will be your saving grace in those really, really hard, pressing times. Just um, all the stuff that you've done, uh, all, all the stuff that you've done prior. And then he was, he was also saying, so if you're, if you're a freelancer or you're, you're like, per, for example, in production, and you're trying to figure out, you know, what projects you should take on and how many projects you should take on. There's three sort of F words, not that F word, three F words <laughs> that you should, uh, that you should um, you know, consider before taking on that project. 
is it going to give you, uh, is it a good fit for you? Number one, like it, it sort of is your, is your skill set a good fit for that particular project, which is legitimate. Like, you know, people have to have, people have to have a, like a fairly decent range of skill, but people also have their own, I don't want to say comfort zone, but people have things that they're good at and things that they're not good at. And, yeah. you know, make sure that that particular project is a good fit for your own personal skill set. Second thing is fortune. Does it pay well? Does, is, does the amount of work sort of equal the amount of money you're getting and, you know, the amount of work that you put into your skills prior to that. Like, you know, you're not going to take on a job for a hundred bucks that could be worth a thousand bucks and you put like 20 years in your, <laughs> in your career. Like you're just not going to do that. Yeah. Um, and the final thing is, um, and this, this sounds, you know, well, it's, it's totally legitimate fame. Like, are you going to be able to display this project that you're doing so you can get more projects later on? Like, can you, can you use it in your portfolio? If you can't, but it's gonna, it, it pays really, really well and it's a good fit, then you might want to take it. But if it gives you all three, fantastic. If it only gives you fame, but the money's kind of bad and it's not a very good fit, you, like, it's, it's sort of a balancing act. You know, like, like do you take it on? That's up to you to consider all the pros and cons. Um, uh, da, 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 da. And then the, he told a big, long story about the start of crush, um, sort of Crush Visual. The, the gist of that was like um, he was taking on a lot of projects that he couldn't really handle himself. But he was just like, I know a lot of people in the industry that if I was able to collaborate with them on stuff and, you know, may, maybe even like, like, like make a business out of it or start an art house, yeah. like shit, we could, we could accomplish a hell of a lot more together than I could by myself. So let's do it. And that's sort of where his crush visual um, company came from. And that was, that was like, like super cool. It was, it was a very, very long road to get there, but yeah. obviously I'm paraphrasing. So then the final one, Anthony Jones, the guy who jumped down off the stage, he's like, all right, listen, you motherfuckers. First of all, <laughs> everyone who's here at Edge Control, you are automatically out of, like, you know, say all of the other art students, all of the other people that go to art schools in Toronto, everyone here who's sitting in this room is automatically, just, just by virtue of you being here, you are already ahead of the people who are not here. All the people who either weren't lucky enough to hear about this or the people who heard about Edge Control and didn't bother to come, because you're here. You're. What is this? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's freaking awesome. We're gonna have to put up a graphic of that. <laughs> freaking awesome, dude. Yeah. So yeah, Anthony Jones was was in people's faces, as you were saying. Yeah. So yeah, um, <laughs> in people's faces, and he was just like, "So you guys, because you're here, you're awesome." Point number one. Uh, let me see. Point number two. Um being told that you have talent might actually be a disadvantage. And his reasoning for that argument was, let's say in the beginning, you're told that you're really, really like, oh yeah, you're going to be so successful. You're already really, really talented. People like that might actually be in danger of not putting the work in after they've been told things like that. Yeah. And he's like, it's not everybody who's told that they have talent, but it's a, it's a surprising amount of people who just like, they're like, okay, cool. I guess I made it like, cool. You know, they're they're suddenly not able to see that next level of of awesome that they're you know they're trying to get to. Yeah. Um. Or they have they have a much higher chance of not seeing that. Um. Second of all, uh, can't do something. Know the nuances. Make the mistakes. Uh, until you've actually done it. Uh. Yeah. Actually, he went so far as 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 saying being being called being being called talented is an insult because like like you might take that as thinking that you don't have to try. Yeah. Um, and like uh, uh, his second point was just paint and draw a lot over a long period of time. That's literally all it takes. There are a lot of nuances in that. Some of the things like that you choose to draw and paint, for example, focusing on anatomy versus just scribbling, that's going to get you there a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. um, 
Edge control. Yeah, and then he was saying edge control folks are going to be fine because we showed up. Like, you guys are the ones who show up to the industry events. You guys are the ones who actually give a shit. You want to meet us. You want to, you know, connect with the people who are already here and, you know, get all the, all the, all the awesome advice out of everyone. And uh, then, then his point of no one ever just becomes an art director at a AAA game company by fluke. Like, yeah. it's, it's obvious when you think about it, but, like, you know, like, I... I remember back in like high school and even shared and being like, Oh yeah, like I'm going to get there. Whatever, man. Like it's cool. You know, like I know I'm going to be successful. So like why even try? And I will admit that at one point I thought like that. And yeah. of course I don't now because I put a little bit more work in and realized, Holy fuck, I got a long way to go. Yeah. But, um, uh, his next point was easy. Even the easy entries to the industry take a couple of years and a shit ton of hard work mm-hmm. in those couple of years. And, um, he was saying he, he does know of a couple people who got in a little faster than that and got to a very, very high level, both professionally and skill-wise, very quickly. Mm-hmm. But those people are special cases. They're outliers. And, and they're just, it really just comes down to luck. They might not necessarily be better than everybody else. But there was one guy, for example, uh, a guy, his first name was Christian. I can't remember his last name. I'm going to have to look this up. But the guy was homeless. And he was, wow. um, he was drawn on the side of the road. And then an art director from Ubisoft walks by and he's just like, whoa, dude, those are some like kick-ass environments. You want to like come in for an art test? And so the guy comes in for an art test, passes the art test, absolutely nails the interview. And um, <laughs> think about this guy was he didn't get into drugs. He didn't actually look homeless when he came yeah. in for the interview, even though he obviously was. Yeah. And then he was just like, so um, I have one request before I start because he got the job. Could I have the first month's rent in advance? And they were just like, wait, why? And he's just like, well, I'm kind of homeless. And they were just like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> like, whoa, damn. Like, oh, my God. And like, Jesus. How are you homeless and able to work, in the, do, do, you know, like, like draw like this? And he's like, well, I wasn't always homeless. Yeah. So, yeah, like, like it's, 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 it's an example of one story where a guy who was really, really, really down didn't have a place to sleep like that Jesus. low. That guy got into Ubisoft and then he moved on and now he's a kick-ass artist and it's just like, it's possible, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, even the easy entries, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> the other thing he was saying was don't race towards death. You know, like uh, he was talking about people who are, you know, in kindergarten and in elementary school, they're told that like, you got to work really, really, really hard so you can go to high school. And then in high school, you got to work, work really, really hard so you can get like go to college, get a degree. And then from there, you got to work really, really hard to get a job. And then your job, you got to work really, really hard for your retirement. Then your retirement, you're like, oh, fuck, I'm like 10 years from death. Shit, what was all that for? <laughs> like, and he was just like, so don't race towards your, your ultimate demise. Like, don't run towards your grave. Learn to just enjoy the subtleties and just the pleasures of life because it's not all about, you know, like, like getting down to it, you know, doing like crazy amounts of work. It is about that partially, mm. but he's also like, you got to strike a balance because you got to be, you got to be nice to yourself got to be kind to your body you got to make sure you're healthy because otherwise like what the fuck was it for yeah um, I mean, you, you were talking about anthony was saying that he, that's kind of why he went more freelance because he was he felt like he was neglecting his family at the time um, yeah he was um i think uh we were talking to him afterwards during the after party he was basically I, I can't remember he was quoting someone i can't remember who it was but he was basically like you can either have a really really good career or be a really really good husband and family man or woman or whatever and he was just like i have a really really amazing career so what the fuck does that mean about my family, about me as a husband, about me yeah. with my kids? And um, his wife understood, but his kids didn't. And yeah. he was just like, shit, I really, really got to change the way I'm doing things. And so he went independent. He started up uh, you know, Gumroad and Patreon, started teaching people. He's a lot more happy and fulfilled now. 
and it goes back to that definition of success. His he had to change his original definition of success to, you know, compensate for all the other things he had going on in life. And he's just as successful now as he was before, but he's just doing things differently. It's just it's it's a mind shift. Yeah. Um uh yeah, he was also saying that, you know, schools schools, including art schools, teach people how to be quote unquote workers that race towards death. Whereas you should be more you know, going going in a bit of a different direction. Um, he was also saying, just don't complain about stuff because complainers are bad. Like if you're if you're sitting there complaining, you're wasting time that you could be using to actually not be bad. You know, yeah. Like don't waste your breath, don't waste the mental energy on it. Just get good. Just sit down and and do it. <clears throat> um, he was also saying that as you get better, the um, the the level cap or or the next rung of that ladder you're climbing gets a lot clearer. So. Yeah. As your skill increases, and you've probably experienced this too, mm. you're able to see a lot more clearly how fucking far you have to go. But it's yeah. a lot clearer, and you're able to be like, okay, well, that's pretty goddamn high, but at least I can see it now, as opposed to being a being a true amateur, being like all you know, sort of like, oh yeah, I'm good enough, whatever. Um, and it was also yeah. So the so the time on task will make the level cap clearer, and it, it'll also allow allow you to see a little clearer too how to make that progress. It might not be absolutely obvious, you know, like oh yeah, I gotta. I gotta work on my perspective. You know, you might have to. You might have to like talk to someone, uh, like like for example, like like even even talking to JP and uh, and and Jamaro, um, about my own work. Like they they told me things about my work that I would have never thought of myself until like years later when I learned those lessons myself. Like about you know temperature and, um, you know I think what was what was Jamaro saying about my uh, about my painting? Um, there was something he said that blew my fucking mind. Um, was that they're pushing the the hot and cold to make the characters pop on the bike? That was JP. Uh, Jamaro told me something similar but different. Yeah, um, Jamaro critiqued my work the second day, which was also like they were equally amazing. Oh, cool. Something about um, my highlights were were too desaturated. You said right. you want to keep the saturation high, even in your even in your sort of your highlight areas, because it was wow. all washing out. And I was just like, oh my god, dude! <laughs> like it's obvious, but you're still blowing my mind. Yeah. Um, uh, he was also saying that you know when you're starting something new, or even when you're getting back into something you haven't tried in a while. Let's just take let's just take juggling for an example. He's just like you can't just juggle having never juggled before. You got to drop those balls a couple of times, or a hundred times, or a thousand times before you can actually juggle. Yeah. He's just like same with painting. You got to fuck up a lot before you can paint at a professional level or paint at a level that you are you are satisfied with. You're happy with. Same thing with drawing. Same thing with literally anything but he was like once you've gotten to that level um he was he was just talking about his own life uh he actually this is pretty inspiring too um he didn't sort of start drawing until he was 23 he didn't take it seriously until then wow. and um what i and I, I i'm assuming that he didn't draw it all up until then because he was doing so much other stuff like he, he was a musician he was in a band he was you know like a really really awesome guitar player then when he was 23 which coincidentally is the age i am right now nice. um it was just like, yeah, man, I just, you know, I, I, I figured that, that art and concept art is kind of the direction I want to go because he discovered it then. Yeah. And he was just like, shit, I got to get good. But he had to drop that pencil so many times in order to become the person that he was. Yeah. Um, and if you, uh, the other thing was, he was just like, so how many, how many failures is it going to take you to give up? You know, like if you don't, if you do that character design once and it sucks, you're like, okay, are, are you done? Are you going to, you know, get back up on that horse? Or he was like with a job, like if you want to get into a specific company or become a specific kind of artist, you know, how many applications are you going to make until you finally get there? You yeah. want to get into a particular art school, how many, how many times are you going to try to get in? 
And uh, I was just like, wow. So I've tried a couple of times to get in the blizzard. How many more times is it going to take? <laughs> um, but so, yeah, like uh, it's, it's, it, it goes back to um, it goes back to the creation of the light bulb. How many times did Edison, did Edison fuck up in, until he made the light bulb? I, I hear it's a couple hundred. Um, yeah. how, many, how many publishers did J.K. Rowling go through before Harry Potter even found a home? It's it's in like the 30s or 40s, you know. Like yeah. it's you've and even even Dan Luvisi, how many publishers, how many how many film studios did he had to go through before he was happy with you know the publisher for LMS, the the people that were going to make the movie, dozens, yeah. dozens and dozens and dozens. Like it's it takes so fucking long to get to where you want to be. So you got to have the patience. And um, uh, da, 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 da. And he also made this really, really cool, simple graph. He was basically just drew a whole bunch of squiggly lines going up, sort of like the climate change graph. He was just like, so these are, these are you know, like, like you're going to have ups and downs in your, in your career. You might even have plateaus. There were some flat lines in there too. But he was, he was saying, even throughout all those ups, ups and downs, look at the direction the graph is moving. It's yeah. still moving right to left. You're still going where you need to go. And you might even be getting there, you know, like 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 those 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 times are in those valleys, and you're in those down sort of mm. sort of moments. You might even be moving there faster. You might actually be getting to where you want to go slower when you're more comfortable. So it's like that's why you want to keep trying new things, keep it, keep pushing forward in the things you're already working on. Keep yourself uncomfortable because that's when you really start to learn faster. Yeah. And uh, he's like, if you feel the resistance, you're pushing or you're pushing through something, you're doing something new. That means you're getting better. Like yeah. when you're feeling that that cold grip on your heart, going like, "Oh my god, I don't think I should be here. This is terrible. Oh my god, this painting sucks." That's that's exactly that's exactly where you want to be. As terrible as that sounds, um, then uh, then he, he made this anecdote where um, he was saying, uh, "So let's say you're in a room with with another guy, <clears throat> and in that room are four or five doors, and then uh, you and that other guy are standing there, and then you open a door." And behind that door is like some like crazy troll monster and tries to eat you. And you're like, okay, fuck. And you go to the next door and you're just like, there's like some, there's just like some random other thing there. And you're just like, and, and you turn to your friend and you're just like, yo, can you check out those other doors? He's just like, no, man, like, holy shit. There was some bad shit behind that door. And you're just like, but, but if you don't open those doors, you're not going to know what's behind the doors. And then when you finally open that door, that's, you know, that leads to something good it leads to another room and it leads to another room with twice as many fucking doors. That's that. And so you got to check out those doors. And if you refuse to check out all the different avenues of, you know, of, 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 of directions that you could go or different skills you could learn, you're going to have knowledge that other people that refuse to check out those doors aren't going to have. Yeah. So you got to be, you got to have the balls to, you know, take the plunge into areas that you might not even think are going to benefit you in the future. Like, Steve Jobs learning typography and then being able to develop the the typeface for Apple. It was a it was um it was an avenue in in school that he didn't think would really get him anywhere, but yeah. like it came it came in useful pretty darn quick, which is why that's one of the reasons I chose Elliot because it's an avenue that you know, like like TV animation designed for TV animation. I don't actually know if it's going to come up later in my life. I don't know if it's going to be useful, but I'm learning it anyway. Yeah. So not only will I have learned it and I will have gotten better at it and been mentored at it because George is fucking awesome, yeah. but I'll know more than someone who refuses to do that and someone yeah. who refuses to take that plunge in, in that specific studio environment. And after, after like a year or two, maybe more at Elliot, I'm going to move on to another studio and learn as much as I can there. Yeah. And that's sort of that mentality of like constantly trying to pick up as, as many things as you can. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 what's next? 
Uh, yeah, the doors thing. <clears throat> oh yeah, and then um, uh, the thing I mentioned earlier, the uh, the thirty second drawing exercise. Yeah. Um, so when he was drawing those dragon heads, the first one was his good old comfort zone, like the thing that he always does to you know, like just like you know, this is what I like doing. Um, and then the second one, he he zoomed out and he started to draw it with with a bigger brush. And he was like, okay, let's let's like break down this design, figure out what's happening. Third time, zoomed out a little bit more. Another 30 seconds, and it was like freaking blobs at that point. But he was figuring things out about that initial design. He was just like, okay, you know what? My comfort zone design isn't good enough. Uh-huh. So here's some things that I'm forcing myself to do to help the design, you know, push it a little bit farther. Yeah. And he, then, um, then the fourth one was like sort of like a lasso tool block-in. But the block-in was easier because he'd already blocked it in over 30 seconds with a really, really large brush. And so he had those shapes already in his head. And then... He did another block in after that over another 30 seconds, and that one was a lot more solid than the first one. And then he, uh, he gave himself a final drawing in a minute and 30 seconds, and that one was just like, oh, shit, dude. Like, there's, there's an obvious progression over this, what, like five minutes? Yeah. So he was just like, so, so, so in doing all these, you know, crappy little studies and sketches, you're going to get a lot more out of it than, say, just doing one hour-long sort of, you know, rendering of a character he's just like same thing as if you want to like learn how to draw an eyeball rather than doing like a three hour careful meticulous detailed rendering of an eyeball do five minute paintings and do like do as many as you can in three hours like because you're going to get a lot more out of that um let's see um yeah so iterating and constantly redoing is better than doing one epic drawing that might not get you nearly as far yeah um and then even if you do it wrong, you're still doing it and improving, just like if, if you're working out. If you go out and do it, you're still doing more than 99% of people out there. Like, even yep. the act of taking the goddamn stairs, you're automatically putting yourself on a different level. And that's sort of where you want to be. And then he was talking about sort of going back to, you know, seeing an artist's finished work and then not seeing the iceberg behind it. And uh, he used U- Usain Bolt as an example. So Usain Bolt's 100-meter dash, <clears throat> a lot of people just assume that Usain Bolt only does 100-meter dashes to practice for the 100-meter dash. That is absolutely not the case. He, it is built on runs of 10 and 20 and 30 kilometers a day. It's built on good nutrition. The guy bikes. The guy weight trains. The guy sprints. The guy you know does physiotherapy and tons and tons and tons of other stuff. There's so much shit that goes into that one race, which, wow. makes, which makes Usain Bolt's quote, um, I think he, re- or I don't know if it was recent, but he basically said the race is the easy part. The hard part is the training. Like when, yeah. you, when you're actually on race day, it hurts like hell, but it's fucking nothing compared to what you had to do to, to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that, was a, that was a really, really good example. So then something, something regarding practice and studying and training. Um, <laughs> so he, basically, he, he just selected someone at random in the crowd and asked them, what's the distance from the, from the earth to the moon in miles? Actually, I'll ask you this. What's the difference? Uh, what's the distance between the Earth and the Moon in miles? Do you know? Um, something like 10,000? What's the distance? Uh, um, okay, all right. I'm going to ask you again. What's the distance between the Earth and the Moon in miles? Try, just, 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 um, just try guessing again. Uh, like 20,000? Okay. What's the distance between the Earth and the Moon in miles, Gordon? <laughs> I have no idea. It's a real okay. It's a really, really uncomfortable sort of exercise and a question. Right. But basically, how would you find that information if you don't know it? The easiest way, just like like off the top of your head. Okay, cool. Exactly. <laughs> so 
if you don't know how to draw the forearm, are you just going to draw like, you know, like, you know, like shitty forearms in, in Photoshop? Or are you going to find an image of a forearm and study that shit? Yeah. Yep. That was that was his point about about studying and training. So, you know, by the way, the, the distance between the Earth and the Moon in miles is like like two hundred two hundred and fifty something thousand. I don't even know. But um, <laughs> his point was that rather than guessing, just find the information. Yeah. And if you don't know how to find the information, then find out how to find the information. Yeah. And uh, it's like it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a not that comfortable way of, of um, getting the point across, but yeah. it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so he was like, Google it, get a Gumroad, find a tutorial, find a physical person who can answer your question, find a mentor, find like a Jedi master who can teach you the ways of the Force, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Just find the information yourself. And it goes back to Kalen's point. Like, if you, if you don't know it, then like, it's out there. It's easy to find. So do it. Um, let's see, uh, creativity. And yeah, um, then he said uh, creativity and design and stuff like painting, those are all objectively possible to learn. But what was, this, what was the second half of that point? Uh, they're all objectively... Yeah, so um, stuff like st- technical skills, like drawing and painting, those are, those are like, like you, can, you can learn those. They're, they're, <clears throat> they're possible to learn. Anyone can learn them. Mm-hmm. But stuff like appeal, stuff like sensibilities, stuff like um, even creativity, that's, it's, it's, it's a lot more subjective. Stuff like, does this actually look good? He yeah. was trying to just make, make the point of like, you can teach anyone how to technically draw something, but yeah. you've also got to fill your brain with as, with as many sort of other styles and, you know, like cool work that you like in order to sort of get the second half of not only can you technically draw it well, but it's also appealing and, it, it, you know, it, it looks good to a lot of other people. Uh, holy shit, what's next? Um, yeah, actually, yeah, going back into that point, <clears throat> you can't output anything new if you don't input anything new, which is why you've got to constantly be filling your brain with like as much information as you can fit in there references and like just all that stuff. And then uh, memory recall. Uh, if you see something, then through a uh, neurological chain of events, it ends up in your work. Oh, cool. He was, it was, it was explaining the mechanics of how the brain works, but basically, um, you know, like, like if you study a whole bunch of architecture and you're just like, wow, this is cool. I'm going to draw it for a little bit. Next time you draw a building, you'll have that in your visual library to call on, which yeah. again, it sounds totally obvious, but it's still true. Yeah, there was a, a quote from Thomas Scholes, we saw him at industry workshops, and he talked about, um, it was it was in Latin basically, but he uh, phrased it in English as, if you wait till battle to sharpen your sword, then you've lost already. So it's yeah. like, yeah he, to- yeah, he talks about like how you don't have to wait for those things to be, you know, you don't have to wait to make the references, you should be, you should be learning all the time, constantly filling your brain. Um, yeah, so, I remember yeah. you saying that, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Actually, um, I just came across a quote by Lincoln, of all people. And he was just like, if you give me an axe, a tree, and six hours to cut down the tree, I will spend the first four hours sharpening that goddamn axe. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's the exact same point put differently. Yeah. Um, what else did Anthony Jones say? Holy fucking shit. <clears throat> um, the other thing he was saying, it was getting more into financial stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the gist of his point was more money, more problems. So, you know, like, like you might have a shitload of money, but you also have a ton more responsibilities. Like you might have a boat that you got to take care of and liabilities and a whole company and stuff like that. Whereas if you want to keep things simpler, just have a family, a couple of side businesses, a full-time job, like it's so much easier to manage. And he's, he's saying like, if you want to, if you want to go farther than that, then feel free, but it's a hell of a lot harder and you have a lot more responsibilities and stress on your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. And he said like, I've done that before. I went down that path. It wasn't really for me, so I pulled back. And it's, it's, it's something that, you know, 
um, it, it's, it's something that you can pull out of if you want to. You, you're not stuck into, into it forever, yeah. is what he was trying to say. Um, uh, da, 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 da. It's, it's better to put more money and time into your assets rather than your liabilities. So, like, mm. your skill and the stuff that you use to create, you know, whatever work you have, like Cintiq or, you know, whatever. It's better to put more money into you rather than money into just random shit. Because ultimately, you're the one who has to produce the stuff. Uh, da, 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 da. Don't uh, just work for money. You might end up hating it like so many others out there. He's just like, yeah, you might be working for the studio of your friggin' dreams. Or you might be working for a studio that you really, really don't like. But if they're paying you a shit ton, you might be tempted to stay on. And, yeah. you know, that might not be the best way to go about a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, he said, don't just become a worker like so many schools are teaching people to become. Become a creator. A leader, an entrepreneur, a teacher, an asset creator, someone who puts out tutorials, becomes yeah. someone who puts something back into the community rather than to someone who, you know, slogs away at something that might matter but might not. Yeah. Uh, holy fuck, there's even more. Holy <laughs> shit. Um, this was getting into questions. Actually, people were just firing off random questions, which, yeah. again, they, they all had really, really good answers to every question that we asked. Yeah. Um, uh, how to work for companies internationally? It's rare, but it's possible. You mm. pretty much have to be have to be ready to relocate if you want to work for something that's not in Scotland. Not yeah. In Canada. Um, so yeah, you you pretty much have to be ready to t- to, to take the plunge. Yeah. Um, if you want to do anything uh, with a line under anything, find out everything you can about it, who's doing it, and also the best way to also do it. And in our case, we we both want to end up as concept artists in the game or the film industry. We're, we both got that covered. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but for everybody else out there who, you know, like maybe you want to become a concept artist, don't just, you know, go on ArtStation, look up people's stuff. That's actually moving in the right direction. But like, you know, um, meet the people or at least find out who the people are that are doing what you want to do and yeah. then figure out how did they get there? How can I incorporate some of those things in their path into what I'm doing and to get there a little bit faster? Because obviously... You know, faster is better in some cases. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, paint for yourself and other artists, but also for the average person. Because um, uh, it actually, Anthony Jones had a really, really good point about this. So uh, you know Sparth, right? Nicholas Bouvier? Yes. So Anthony Jones was showing his wife a Sparth painting. And obviously, to artists, everything that Sparth does is like, holy fuck, this is like ridiculous. Yeah. But he showed one of Sparth's hour-long sort of like more like sketch paintings that was, that was a little bit unfinished. Mm-hmm. Still technically well-executed and beautiful, but his wife was just like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this. Like, wh- why, why isn't it finished? Yeah. And Anthony Jones was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> You're totally right. Like, yeah. like, I never thought of it that way. So you've always got to think, what is the average untrained, you know, intelligent but untrained person going to think about this? Yeah. You know, is it going to appeal to them or is it just going to be like, what the, what the fuck is this shit you're showing me? Um, then he was, uh, he was just like, how to build an, how to, um, someone asked how to build an audience for a personal project or an IP or just for yourself. And the obvious answer was just post a shit ton of artwork, yeah. post it consistently, you know, like do, um, Anthony Jones and Jake Parker, good examples of this, post something finished or even just a sketch doesn't matter on Instagram or Facebook or social media every day for 10 years and you'll get there or not every not even every day Um, I think Jay Parker was like the um, the sort of um, the sweet spot was every three to four days so not once a week and not once a day because once a week is is not often enough and once a day is just insane but every three or so days if you can do that consistently people will come to expect a sketch from you every three or so days it's like oh cool look another 
Jake Parker sketch. I'm going to share this to someone, and he's going to get even more popular. Cool. Um, you can't just draw a little bit and then blow up in terms of popularity and skill and getting a job. It just it goes back to what he was saying before. Like you're not going to become an art director by doing a doodle. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, he he brought up Kim Jong Gi, a guy who had been drawing for like 50 fucking years, but. Yeah. Um, he was just like, there's actually two ways you can sort of break into the industry via, via social media. Mm. You can either start small and start at a lower skill mm. and then post consistently for like 10 years until your master level mm. and people will see your progression or you can do it the Kim Jong-gi way and just like all of a sudden burst onto the scene fully developed as like the ultimate drawing master of <laughs> the fucking universe yeah. and that's another way to do it. But you're losing something because people were like, whoa, he's like... Like that's 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 totally not possible. How is he doing that? How is he starting from the toe yeah. and like ending up with a panoramic battle scene on a wall? People were like, I don't believe that he's doing this. Yeah. So then of course he basically had to do like, you know, video tutorials of how he was doing this stuff. And even then people didn't believe that it was legit. So yeah. there are there are multiple ways to do it and there's no real right or wrong wrong way. It's just how you choose to do it. Yeah. Um but he was just like, how Kim Jong-gi did it, he, he filled entire fucking closets with sketchbooks. Like, yeah. floor to ceiling of probably terrible drawings, or at least drawings that he wasn't happy with until he finally decided that, okay, maybe I should like show people my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just do it more than everyone else, and you will get better than everyone else who's doing it. It's, yep. it's that simple. Um, those that are the best, those that are the best have a track record of active, consistent production that leads to growth. So, you know, like if you have a day job and you're required to draw at that day job, no matter what, you're going to get better. And if you draw more on the side, even better. Um, so, yeah, a couple of final points on Anthony Jones. Uh, he was um, he was just like, do fan art and um, uh, not only do fan art, but do fan art that no one's ever seen before. So, you know, like uh, I, I, pr I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. Draw Luke Skywalker, steampunk. Bam. You'll yeah. go viral. He was he compared it to American Idol. He was just like. Singers sing existing songs that have already been done, you know, like like throughout time, like 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 like. Uh, um, I think there was one where they all did Beatles songs, yeah, and then they all had their own personal take on different Beatles songs, and yeah. all of them did really really well because it's it's a riff on something existing. They're like, whoa, that's like never been done before. Yeah. Um, it was also saying that cross -dis disciplinary training helps a shit ton. Doing 3D to learn perspective and design. You're going to learn drawing by doing 3D, and you're going to learn 3D by doing drawing and vice versa. Everything helps as long as there's a little bit of crossover, yeah. or you're, you're, you're sort of dealing with the same kind of stuff. Um, let's see, make up your... Uh, make your... Okay, never mind. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah, uh, he was saying, so um, if your life was an RPG, and you had sort of like, like different sort of categories you could put all your talent points into like fallout for example mm -hmm. he said the best place to probably put your talent points are into patience resilience and discipline because that's what's going to get you to the top not you know putting all your all your talent points into like just straight up drawing ability because yeah. if you have crazy drawing ability at the beginning but not the patience and the and, and the resilience and the discipline to sort of you know increase that drawing ability you're going to stay at what you were at the beginning yeah. so that's really 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 important too um create a baseline of how much you draw per day or how much you produce a day or how much you produce in a week for example and always try to hit that baseline and that that goal of like i want to do like you know even even two paintings a week that's that's like a couple hundred paintings a year that's or a hundred yeah. paintings a year. that's that's really really good um 
and uh, form really, really good habits. So like, you know, sit down with a sketchbook every morning or during lunch or evening, or if it's not a sketchbook, do something else or line up some freelance work and have that constantly going. Just do something that'll keep you consistently producing. Yeah. And um, I think Anthony Jones's presentation ran pretty long, just like how this is running pretty long. So with yeah. that, that was edge control. It was, it was freaking fantastic. Uh, the after after party was also pretty awesome too, because we actually got to, you know, get, get some drinks with the, with not only the guys who came to talk to us, but everyone else there as well. And we were able to meet a whole bunch of, you know, artists who lived, who lived in Toronto, probably get together with them a little bit later. And like, it was just a fucking fantastic networking experience. Best I've ever had. It sounds, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it was the same, I think, even me when I, when I done London, there's just yeah. so much to see and do. Um, trying to fit it in over you know the days you have is crazy because you're trying to frantically run between one talk and another. Um, but yeah, it's 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 like you said, it's an experience you'll never get ever again. And yeah, it's it's, it's made you you know know a better artist. But you know, like you said, it's helped you with stuff like networking and speaking to people. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's all all in all just. Uh, for me and Colin, you know, having just both been to these events, it's something I would say um, you really need to invest in because, like Anthony Jones says, people who are going to these things are already, you know, 50% more of the way towards the end goal than most people because they're engaging in a new form of learning that people aren't doing by just sitting on their ass doing their own college work, university work. You know, they're going out actively to learn new things from big creators. Um, plus, it breaks down, it breaks down the barriers of amateur and professional you know you're getting to speak to guys who have worked at blizzard most of their life and whenever would you get that opportunity you know never so um, yeah i could have said it better myself <laughs> yeah, well, definitely um so cool guys um again if you listen towards the end I'll, we'll probably talk into breaking this in a two-parter um and uh yeah next we're going to have uh, an interview which um colin will be doing um after this um we've got uh the edge control talk which is just uh come after george interview and then we'll have an interview after this as well um and then we'll be back to normal but um yeah itunes i think again i was saying this last podcast the certification should come through by the end of the week or has came through um by the time this podcast goes up and we'll now be on itunes as well as youtube so you can find us there um and also on soundcloud so yeah guys just check us out on all avenues and uh thanks colin for running your throat dry talking <laughs> talking, no problem man I would, I would do it again like yeah. it was so much fun and it was actually a lot of fun to talk about too yeah definitely um and yeah guys we will we'll talk to you guys soon if you've got any questions or any comments remember leave them down below and uh, we'll catch you guys next time bye hey, peace